Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian promoting the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis, Arts-Based Community Development Director with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm speaking with Gulf Coast artist, Carmen Lugo. Carmen, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So um, we were talking before we, um, we started recording about um, some of your art and, and your story. So, so let's start at the beginning. So, so where did you grow up? I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, and I had the same childhood that many of us had in the 80s where the big rule is home before the streetlights are on. So it was a lot of exploring and staying outdoors and, you know, we, we had a freedom then that we could do that. So yeah. I, I got a lot of that. That's absolutely right. I used to do some work um, trying to get more kids to walk and bike to school and it's, yeah. it's more difficult because the times are different because we don't just come home when the lights come yeah. on and, you know, there's all kinds of other issues. But um, so, so Mobile, okay, so, so how did you get to the, co- the Mississippi Gulf Coast? Um, I got the Mississippi Gulf Coast on accident. Um, after, after I, you know, after Mobile, I moved to Montgomery, Alabama, and um, when I graduated high school, I kind of floated around, and I went to school, and then I went to Panama City Beach, and back to Montgomery, and for some reason, my mom had moved to Biloxi, and my sister and I were living in Montgomery, and our lease was up on our apartment, and we just decided within like two weeks that we would move here. Um, we loved it. So I just stayed and that was in 2001. So. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, okay. So you've been here 17 years. Yeah. And this is my home. So. And is your mom still here? No, she lives in Montgomery, Alabama. Oh, she now. lives in Montgomery. Okay. It's just me. <laughs> okay. So you stayed. Um, did you marry a Mississippian? I, I always say I, that's how I stayed in the Mississippi. He is from Oklahoma, a tiny town called Carmen, Oklahoma. Oh, how great. So when we met, that was his, his big line. I'm, sure. I'm from a town called Carmen. But when I saw him, I, I knew. I went to my sister that night, and I said, I met this guy, and he's going to be my boyfriend. I don't think he knows it, <laughs> but he's going to know it. And sure enough, we, um, we have been together since the day we, we officially really met. We've just never been apart since. 17 wow. years. That line really worked. I mean, yeah, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. That's great. Okay, so um, so when did you start doing art? Was that in school or as a child? I did. I When I was younger, um, I was the middle child. I liked to read. I was fairly introverted. Um a lot of just kind of experimental exploring writing and things like that and I think when you're that age sometimes you can get pegged as the art kid mm-hmm. you know every kid's got their personality I had an older sister and a younger sister and I was always the one that would write plays and make my sister act them out or <laughs> so I got pegged as the art kid so to me I felt like that was my identity up until I hit you know 13 14 then I mostly just wrote I started to get discouraged because I didn't feel like I was good at art very much anymore. Um, it hadn't occurred to me yet that art was something you practice a lot to get mm. good at it. When you're young, sometimes it can feel like, um, you know, artists seem like these magical creatures and it's something you're born with and, oh, they're an artist. And it didn't hit me that it was hard work that get, you know, that got mm-hmm. you there. And um, in fact, I try now when I teach classes, I try to really be careful with my vocabulary. Um, I don't, 
this is going to sound strange. I don't like to tell my students they're talented. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when you tell a kid they're talented, which is what I was told growing up, you are afraid to take risks. You, you want to keep doing the thing you got the praise for. So mm-hmm. I was afraid to take risks and I really didn't grow. I thought, I didn't realize that it was the hard work more than the talent. So I tell my students all the time now, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. You know? Wow, that's it, such a great saying. Talent only takes you so far. Uh, your drive. So um, when I was like 18, 19, that's when it occurred to me, oh yeah, you learn to do this stuff. And I became kind of obsessed with learning and I haven't stopped since. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, I, I, I can really appreciate that because particularly when, you, when, I, when I talk to like older people who just say like, I'm not an artist. I've always wanted to be, but I'm not. And you know, I would assume yeah. your reaction would be similar to mine, which is like, you can learn it. I mean, yeah. yes, we are, we're taught that it's this natural talent thing. And while that is true with many people, it is a learned skill it is. that you can hone and practice. The way yeah. I tell my students is, I'm like, you weren't born knowing how to write your name. Mm-hmm. You might have learned it faster than the person next to you, but you still learned how to write your name. You learned how to read and write. You can learn how to do this, too. Now, whether you want to push yourself in those areas. But yeah, you can learn. Yeah, that's interesting just to think about it that way because no one would um, confuse that when it comes to like music. Like no one would right. r- would say you don't just pick up a guitar and start <laughs> <Right>. like <laughs> just virtuoso or like, math or anything. Like yeah, that's right. But somehow, somehow with art, we think you're either born with it or you're not. And and I think I always tell people it's one to me. It's about express expression, and then it's like no judgment you know this is about you expressing yourself and two it's um we're all creative you know like we may not not everyone may identify as an artist but we're all creative in different ways and it's just like finding it's about taking a risk yeah yeah absolutely series of risks (laughs) (laughs) so tell me about um like when you when you say that when you think of risks and art, like what was the first thing that kind of comes to mind as an example of something like that? Mm-hmm. When I think of risks and art, I think of when I first started out, and um, I've noticed a big shift in my work over the last, you know, eight, ten years, especially. But I, I've taught myself to really be aware of why I, why I'm creating what I'm creating. Um, when I was in school, sometimes I would think, when I first started to sell and I was in school, I would think, well, what will sell? What will people like? Mm-hmm. And that's a slippery slope. You mm-hmm. get stuck in that loop. It's the same as the, the talent thing. You know, if you start selling one thing, you're afraid to take risks on the stuff you really want to say. So I've had to teach myself over the years that it's, the work has got to be for you. Now when I create work, the... I create it and I never I step back and look at it afterwards and then I say oh who would like this Mm -hmm. but it's always after the fact like the work's already created and if people if it resonates with people it does but I you can't let other the other people's opinions shape your work not not to the degree of like what you want to say that's bold it really is I I struggle with that I spent the past two years creating work I thought people would buy yeah, I did that, and I realized I wasn't selling well. I was anxious all the time. I was self-conscious about it. And then after a few years, it was kind of like, no, I'm just going to do this. Mm. And then after it was done, 
it was kind of like, nope, who who would buy this dead rat? Like, <laughs> you know, it's a right. painting and it's an outline of a mouse on its back. And it's surprising. I think when the work is honest, people can sense it. Mm-hmm. When it comes from your heart, I think people can sense it and it resonates with them. So uh, things started picking up. People started connecting with it. And it's so liberating to not have that as, as, as a weight on you, as, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I always think about, like, developing a style you know you look at these artists that you admire and you think about well they have such a distinct style and Mm -hmm. I always think well what's my style and I always go back to like well the stuff I like is kind of weird no one would ever buy it you know that kind of insecurity part it's surprising what people I am thoroughly surprised I do a lot of insects um one of my last ones was a light bulb and it's got three dead moths under the light bulb and (laughs) it got a really great reaction um I'm surprised that people that because it's that they're responding to that authenticity is what is what I I'm guess. hearing you say. I mean, th- they must, right? I mean, that I guess what I what I'm what I'm thinking as we're talking is that maybe it's not so much about defining your style. Maybe it's about like kind of following, um, you know, your passion, your heart, what you're drawn to, and then that authenticity speaks to someone. Maybe when we let it go. I mean, you know, I'm yeah. just kind of thinking. I hope loud, so. But, yeah. I, I think, in my experience, that's the way it feels like it's like it's gone. <laughs> well, that's that's um, that to me is just encouraging and very bold. Um, you mentioned that you do um, you do moths. <laughs> so so tell me about. I know you have um, an interest in entomology. Or, um, for those of you who who don't aren't familiar with that term, the I guess that's the study of insects. Um, is that tell me a little bit about that interest that was an accident now when I was younger I would go outdoors and I would play with basically any living creature somewhere around my late 20s I developed a a fear of moths and butterflies and at the time I would describe it as the dust on the wings like I didn't want it I was scared I'd you know get it on me and I didn't I don't know why it was scary to me and um, I had a friend who was into entomology and she was doing some like microscopy images and she sent me these close-ups of butterfly wings mm. and they're made of scales and for some reason seeing it broken down to like a manageable small scale like that I was completely amazed and I decided well I want to see some more pictures so I would look and then I joined an online entomology group and through exposure especially then you you know you realize you're outside and you're looking at insects and you're watching them and then a friend comes along and they're like oh I found this moth do you want it well yeah I'll start a collection and then it turns into raising flights of giant silk moths (laughs) and now it's oh wow it's yeah ordering Uh books on flies and reading I just ordered a textbook on ants that actually won a Pulitzer Prize so I'm going to go through that but um I don't kill for my collections I know I, I understand the importance of killing for scientific purposes, you know, when they're collecting. And, and But as a hobbyist, I will either raise flights of them and keep a few until, um, and with giant silk moths, you don't have to feed them. They live off, live off of fat stores. With butterflies, you'll feed them. But you just kind of hope the few will pass in good enough shape that you can pen them and display. Yeah, okay, that's really Or people will bring them to me already, already dead that they find, so... Well, it's interesting that that kind of taps back into that fear, like this exposure therapy to the, to the fear. It's amazing right? what if you challenge yourself, it's really amazing what you can, you know. Yeah, and it's like you, it's like you, 
you take the leap. You see this so much with people, I think. You take that leap to just get past the fear, and then you kind of get to love. You oh. know, you go all, jump all the way to love. <laughs> That's yeah. so, so interesting. Um, and, yeah, I'd love to, love to ask you um, more about that. Well, you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today, I'm talking to visual artist Carmen Lugo. So, Carmen, we talked a little bit before the break um, about some of the art that you're doing. We talked about um, your, your your new love of insects. I shouldn't say new, but, you know, the journey that you took. Um, so tell me a little bit about the kind of art you're doing. Let's talk first about the ledgers i guess is that what you call them and and explain kind of together we'll we'll explain to people listening on the radio kind of what what they what that looks like but i know that's where kind of the insects comes into your art so let's talk about that first i have a friend uh, an artist in bay st louis michelle ali and she one day she always brings donations um, then my students will use little pieces and parts of whatever she's not using. And she brings me these old ledgers, and she said, well, can you use these? Yeah, I can use those. <laughs> so um, they're from the 40s, and it was an old construction, like a construction business. It's got all the payments logged in it, and I don't know, it was an interesting background, so I thought, well, I'll do some illustrations of insects. So she's also, also she's brought me flashcards, like vintage flashcards, and some of them will have holes cut out of them, and I'll, I'll do a lot of insects on those. But the ledgers have a really worn and loved feel. Um, I think looking at, you really have to look at them to appreciate them, but usually I'll do a lot of insects in the ledger, or I'll do mice in the ledger, and it'll be mice doing things like opening uh, an envelope with butterflies flying out or flying paper airplanes <laughs> or um, mice, I mean, or moths with moons behind them. Mm-hmm. So it, it just varies. I really liked the ones, um, like of the ants really struck me because I love ants. You see it, when you see it on the ledger paper, you feel like you've opened the book to that, to find that, you know, yeah. naturally. It doesn't feel to me like a painting that you're looking at. You know, in a gallery, yeah. you're you're thank you experiencing it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that that comes across that way. It's another area where I thought, well, who would want a painting of a bunch of ants? And I got so many requests for more ants, but they're interesting. And when you're painting them, you can go so many directions. You can use blues and greens and browns or reds and purples, and they really come alive on the page. And then when you add a little piece of food or something, <laughs> give right. them give them a, a goal. It's they're fun. I like the ants. So, so let's talk about um, your work in encaustic. So, some of our listeners may not know what encaustic is. So, again, together we can <laughs> hopefully we can um, figure out a, a good way to to paint a picture for people who, who who can't see exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. So, so tell 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 our listeners kind of what encaustic is to start. Encaustic is painting with wax, and it's beeswax and Damar resin. And the Damar resin just raises the melting point of the wax so that you can um, you can paint with it, and and it's more. Oh, what's the word I'm looking Malleable for? Malleable is yeah. the word that comes to mind. But so it's painting with hot wax, and I I powder my or I pig, I pigment mine with powders that I order, 
and um, so you can mix all your own colors there. But you can do many things with it. It's a really tactile medium. You can do some sculptural things, which we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, that you've been doing with your work. Um, so anything from embedding objects into it to um, I've been taking fabric and cutting it into the shape roughly of the petals, like uh-huh. cotton fabric, and dipping it in and then sculpting it into the shape of a petal and then dipping it back in and sculpting it and then slowly building all these flowers. And then, of course, you pour more on there and you can build up and you get these really... So you're ta- so just to back up, because I'm really interested in this stuff, you're, you're, ta- you're taking strips of cloth, mm-hmm. you're dipping them in the wax, yeah, and then it's, it's drying and you're sculpting that. Right, because it's drying. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you're layering it more. Is that is that right? Is that yeah, I, I have to do it a couple times. If I just do it once, you can see all the fabric through it. But I uh-huh. want it to really, the fabric is really just the support. Uh-huh. So I try to build it up. And then on top of it, um, when you get the flower kind of sculpted on there, I take the brush and dip it in hot wax and then kind of let it drip. So it, it looks organic. It looks like it's of life. It looks uh-huh. organic, you know. It doesn't look like it's flowers just stuck on there. When I describe encaustic to people, the best way I've come up with at least is that in painting you're working wet and dry. Yeah. And in caustic you're really working um hot and cold. Yeah. Right? So it's like you're kind of working with everything while it's hot just like you would wet paint. Yeah. And then it dries and then you have to use heat. Yeah. To kind of create another layer. Yeah, you'll fuse the layers. To fuse, yes. Fuse (laughs) the layers. That's the word I was looking for. And then kind of go back to the hot. But that that made sense in my head to at least my career has been as a painter. So I had to kind of say, what are the painting words that I understand, (laughs) you know, that work in encaustic? But then encaustic also allows you to kind of really go explore mixed media. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit more about your your mixed media pieces or I've done some where um because in the in the show or the the last show I did I focused a lot with mice and when I got kind of obsessed with mice you know I don't do anything halfway (laughs) so I've ordered all these owl pellets you know when owls eat um and they can't digest the bones they regurgitate the bones with you know hair and other things so you can order these pellets you can you can sterilize them in your own oven or get them sterilized and you dissect them and sort the bones and you have all these uh, you can just basically reconstruct the skeleton so sometimes I'll embed some of that in my work and um, it can be it can be tricky uh, some of the bones are fragile so if I get something and I need to reposition it I have to heat it up enough that it won't catch the bones on fire but that I can still pry it up and move it so it's it can be tricky but it it's nice to embed the stuff in there like that 3d feel yeah so so um I know you do some abstract work as well um what like when you do when you're doing some of the abstract work or when you're doing the mixed media what's the thing that you're kind of what's your process you know that's strange it's hard to it's hard to explain this because it's gonna it might sound weird to some people there are times where I do a painting that's mostly abstract. There will still be representational images in them a lot of times, and sometimes I'll end up completely covering them. So my process when I start a painting is usually I work off of a theme, and I work intuitively. I, I work in a lot of, I say symbols. Um, that can range anywhere from the, have you ever seen the symbols that 
um, the travelers use to mark different houses. It's, uh, I think it began in France, but they use these, I think they call them hobo symbols. Okay. But it's to let people know this is a safe place to stay or do this here or this person lives here. So sometimes I'll put those in my work, but also symbols in that I'll use certain like birds of prey, loose sketches of those. And um, one I did, I did a, this big anatomically correct human heart and it's got a, a extension cord coming out of it but then the heart gets covered up with you know brush strokes so it's it's pushed back so much so sometimes under all those layers that seem really abstract there are pieces of drawings I've spent a really long time and you know you're not going to keep them but right. they have to be in there for it to work so basically when I'm working abstract my main goal is to work every area of the canvas, not ignore an area. I want the painting to be having a conversation, each part of the painting to have a conversation with itself so it feels cohesive. It doesn't feel like I stuck a heart here, I stuck a bird here. It all has to be having a conversation for it to be a successful piece. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, so many people I feel like who are, who don't, don't self-identify as artists, abstract is the thing that maybe they both love and don't understand, it, right? Like it feels uh, ununderstandable because it. I think a lot of people are viewing it like you just described, like a piece here and like a, a yeah. non-cohesive um, stream of consciousness maybe. Yeah. Um, so I love the idea of in your creating that each part of the canvas or the... Yeah, and it's yeah. strange because when you work that way, a lot of times when I work, I prefer to work for hours at a stretch so like 14 hours and sometimes <laughs> forget to eat mm-hmm. but um, I prefer to work for really long hours instead of breaking it into small chunks and when you do that a lot of times you're working spatially like you zone out I I don't think in words you just think in space mm-hmm. like, and, and where one thing is in relation to the next thing and in value so you're backing up and you're trying to kind of zone out with your eyes and, and feel your way through it And when I've been doing that for a long time, and let's say my husband comes in, I find it hard to speak in words. It Mm -hmm. almost feels like English becomes a second language Mm -hmm. at that point. And so I'll ask him to hand me scissors, and I can't think of the word for scissors, so I just make the motion. (laughs) (laughs) So it's almost like being in a trance. It almost feels like you've been hypnotized. And sometimes if I've done that for a long period of time, I feel like kind of sleepy, like I have a headache. Uh-huh. from doing it so long. I don't know if that's a thing other people do, but I, I mean, I think it is. I, I have a similar experience, so strange. I would assume there's more more of us out there as well. I know for me with, with um, music, I, I always um, tell my husband that the most difficult part for me in a show is not playing the music. It's kind of the banter after the song. Yeah. And I've described it as it's like waking from a dream and having to give a speech. I mean, oh, you're no. you're in the moment like you are in painting. You're in you're in your head cuz you're trying to give both the painting or the performance whatever it is like what it deserves, you know? Like maybe you're bringing yourself back to when you wrote the song or the emotion that's in it, then you stop and you're speaking to a crowd, you know, and you're trying to say something clever. And I, I, I love hearing that. That makes yeah. me so happy to hear. <laughs> yeah, like you. I want to just make a scissor um, yeah. motion, you know, <laughs> to I the people. I thought about it that way with music, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's why so many artists, not that's why, but so many artists are introverts, you know. I mean, we the writing, the creating, all of that is done alone. You know, it's done often yeah. in silence or... Um, 
you know, maybe music is involved when you're painting, but you're kind of in your own head. And so it's, it is, it's difficult. Yeah, introspective, yeah. exactly. And then in performative arts, you kind of have to flip it and, you know, do the, do the other that part of it. That would terrify me. Right. So, so I was going to ask, ask you, so you're, you don't necessarily do other types of art other than visual. I'm not musically inclined at all. Um, One of the things, (laughs) I know Stacy here, uh, the director here is in the theater and it's her big love and I am completely in awe of people that will get on a stage Mm -hmm. and and just put themselves out there like that. I mean, that to me is incredible. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, I I would say in a way it's a skill set as well. Like we were talking earlier, it's not something, while I think people are born more inclined, you know, one way or the other, I still think it's something that you can learn, you know, too. And it's kind of getting out of your your comfort Comfort zone. zone. I hear so many... Nothing good happens in the comfort zone. (laughs) That's exactly right. Now that that would be an interesting painting series, (laughs) the comfort zone, right? (laughs) The layers that, that, that come from that. Um, so tell me about this kind of in the same vein, I know you did a a project or a series, um, the fear collector. Tell me about that. That was really interesting. Um, it was, oh, it was years ago. I want to say 2012, but I'm, I'm not, I can't remember right off the bat, but it was years ago and it was, um, we were working on a lot of projects revitalizing downtown Biloxi and, I was in bed one night I was laying in bed and thinking and it just hit me because I was having to do a lot of work with the public and it's something that I wasn't I wasn't really comfortable talking in front of people or to people I was very kind of introverted and I felt socially awkward so I thought what if I just forced myself and I even got up in the middle of the night and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out what other people are afraid of, and we're gonna do this together. <laughs> like, we're gonna do this. And I got up in the middle of the night, and I made this big sign that said, "What are you afraid of? Write it down and put it in the jar." And I told myself, the next day, I'm gonna go stand on the corner in Biloxi, and it was the corner of the Crest, or what was? It's the Crest Building, the old Crest Building. And I'm gonna stand there, and I'm gonna see if people will tell me what they're afraid of. They're gonna write it down and put it in there, and I'm gonna paint my interpretations. Live? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would be out there working, but I would be collecting more than I could, you know, than, sure. than I could produce in that time. And it, the point was that it would be anonymous, and it would be like a little confessional. People could write it down and put it there and not have to feel any shame. So the point was to keep people honest about it and to not give them, not have them give you just a super, like, I'm, I'm afraid of roaches or uh-huh. some superficial, um, n- not that any sure. fear can be superficial, but, um, but I would... And it, it was so strange. It was a wide range of fears. There were things that would say, um, I'm, I'm fear of, you know, turning out like my father or fear of losing my children, fear of, you know, clowns, of course, tornadoes. Um, I had a lot, a big, a wide cross section of people. There's a bus station right there and there's a lot of people that are coming and going. There's a, a bit of a transient community down there at the time. Um, there's the hospital. Doctors and nurses would come over on breaks and take their breaks. There was bank. You know, there were business professionals walking by. There's a military base nearby. So you would just got a wide cross-section of people, and it was really interesting to see how the fears overlapped. And it wasn't necessarily based on, you know, who you are, where you live. what You, you, you could have the same fear. And then 
it turned into what was supposed to be anonymous. They wanted to tell you. They wanted to talk to you about it. So some would come from the hospital and, you know, I'm afraid of getting cancer. My sister's got cancer. We're up there visiting her. And, you know, you cry with them. One lady afraid of losing my memories. Um, she was afraid of getting Alzheimer's. That, that one really hit me hard. So you started forming these connections with people in your community and you're sharing something so personal. And while I finished the series, and I believe I've already sold all the paintings, I still have the slips of paper. Oh, nice. And it's like hundreds of slips of paper. Just and what words. are some of the ones that you did paintings from that kind of stick with you? Um, I did Fear of Losing My Memories. I did um, Fear of Masks. Somebody had a fear of masks. And so I did a, a woman, a big mixed media piece in a tiger mask. Um, fear of Cats, which is a strange one. I This cat... It looks pretty, pretty vicious. Um, fear of going to jail was one, and that's birds, and they're all breaking out of this cage. Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to remember. There were so many. Sure. Well, it's interesting <laughs> it so to to hear the overlap between, yeah. like you said, it's through the cross section of people. Yeah, some of them were heartbreaking, and then you know, and you got them from all ages. Kids would come in and write it, and. It was it was interesting. I'm always interested in the um, the correlation between um, an artist's process and the product itself, and uh, it sounds like this experience allowed you to not only engage in the product of creating art, but you were facing your own fear in the process as well, right? It like is, talking yeah. to people and um, is that was that the not was just that the people, fear? But strangers, strangers too. yeah. Right. I mean. <laughs> And you're and you're sharing something deep, and it's supposed to be anonymous, but it turns into they want to talk to you about it, and you know, it's right. It's beautiful. You just connect with somebody on the street. I mean, that's so vulnerable to tell somebody what you're most afraid of that you've never that puts met. Puts you in a really vulnerable position, and it was amazing to me that people were because I thought I thought for sure it would be a bunch of spiders, snakes, mm-hmm. but no. It, people get deep quick when you give them room room yeah. to, to breathe, room to be comfortable. So. Room to breathe. I love that. Well, you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today, I'm speaking with artist Carmen Lugo. So Carmen, before the break, we were talking about um, the different kind of art that you do. Tell me a little bit more about um, the teaching that you're involved with. Right, so two days a week on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I teach classes at the Mary C. O'Keefe Cultural Center for Arts and Education. I've been doing that for seven or eight years now. And um, in the from 3.30 to 5.30, I teach um, ages like six to 10. And then I do the preteen class to teen class on Thursday nights. And then Wednesday, I do teen lessons. So what kind of classes are they? It's um, general. The, the kids' class is art exploration, and we do everything from, you know, printmaking. We'll do a little bit of collagraphs. We'll do um, acrylic. We do some master copies so they can kind of learn to mix color and, and kind of learn new techniques. And we do contour drawing values. I mean, even as young as five and six, emphasize contour drawing, value skills, form, things like that. So for people who don't know, back up for a minute. So contour is... The figure? Well, really mm. learning to draw the edges of an object, learning mm. to draw what you see. And I do try to emphasize to the kids that just because you learn to draw in a way where the object is really representational doesn't mean it's the only way or the mm. right way. It's just an, another way. 
And so I don't want them to feel like it has to look just like the object in order to be a nice piece of art. But we do learn it. Do you subscribe to the idea, I remember this in art school, of the like, learn the rules to break them? Oh, yeah. yeah. Learn the rules, break the rules. <laughs> and I try to tell them, you know, it, it, it never hurts to know extra. It only hurts to know not enough. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So... I think if you, you learn those rules, you might want to break up. You might want to learn it just so you can break it in a really funny way. You know. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing I think of with that is like, you know, when you talk about abstracted work, um, for those listening who aren't, aren't visual artists, I think of like you have to learn where the shadow goes so yeah. you can learn how to abstract that shadow, for right. example, right, to, to play with it or like, like I think a good example would be like Salvador Dali or something, you know, it's like it's based in reality in that it's clocks, for example, but you then you start dripping the clocks. Or, yeah, you know. and with, especially with the teens, I find that the more they, the more comfortable they are with fundamentals, the less they are afraid to take risks mm-hmm. in abstracting stuff because they feel like, oh, I've earned the right to do it. Now, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily the truth but I think they feel that way it gives them the confidence to say well I do know how to do this I am a good artist I can take these risks and and it's okay if I if it fails you know I think that's true for everybody for, yeah for yeah. adult artists as well you or or honestly adults in, in, in any profession you, yeah. you start to feel like you've earned a certain thing and so yeah. you're more willing to take risks I think yeah and I think you should take the risk whenever you're comfortable but I think for some reason it seems to give people that extra it's a leap in the net will appear kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, um, if if anything comes to mind, tell me um, like a student, something with a student, like where you saw them grow or, or something that sticks out to you from your teaching that, that, that was meaningful to you in some I way. I see a lot of students grow. I think <laughs> one thing that hit me the hardest was I had been teaching this student since she was 12 and she graduated two years ago and went to Tulane. She's going to school for art. And I have, uh, I mean, it's, you know, going to their graduation parties. They were 12 when you meet them. And, and most of my students, um, some of them have been here since they were five or six, and now they're 15, 14. So I watch them grow in so many ways. But um, I think when they do local pop-ups, like sometimes they do pop-ups at Smith & Lens with Ann and Sandy over in Bay St. Louis, or for Peter Anderson, WAMA hosts um, a Young at Art. And that's the Walter Anderson Museum right. of Right, and they'll sell their work, and they make money selling their work, and they get excited to see that other people, you know, that, that it can be a business, and that... Right, that yeah. it's not just art for art's sake, right? Right. That they're able to... Like you said, other people, maybe it resonates with people. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, the thing that never gets old to watch is seeing that moment when it clicks that that you don't have to be, it's not inherited that you're good at art, that you can be good at art. So a lot of times I'll do before and after drawings and I'll say, okay, draw this object. And then I have them look at it and just seeing the progress they make just from looking and observing and it clicks like, oh, I can do this. I remember doing um, an activity in school, in college, and I still, I found them and and I still have them in my studio, but it was hard to describe on the radio but basically like just an object like a circle or a square in construction paper with the light shining on it and we had to use only a palette knife and we had to paint the actual colors we saw like the shadows on each of the pieces and it more than anything else really helped me see 
the real color, you know, that I'm... Instead of the perceived. Right, know. instead of the perceived color, because you, your mind wants to go, well, let me go gray, and, you yeah. know, let me paint how I'm seeing it. And the palette knife was in, was an interesting touch, because it made you, you couldn't be very tight or precise. Yeah. You had to kind you had of... had to loosen up. Yeah, loosen up. And I just always liked that new way of seeing it, yeah. and I'm trying to trying to find new ways to do that yeah when you put limit you put parameters on yourself and see how you can work within that you find a lot of things out about yourself yeah well I know you did um something with students with the 10 most endangered buildings tell me about that yeah so Lolly contacted us and asked if the students wanted to do their interpretation and that's Lolly Barnes with Mississippi Heritage Trust that's correct okay (laughs) and um so for the bicentennial celebration in Jackson, the kids' work was displayed at the architecture. I can't remember if it was the, I don't remember the exact uh, building. Yeah, I was there. But yeah, yeah, I went. Up, <laughs> I went up there too. It was a whirlwind of a weekend, though. So, um, but it was great. And then they ended up keeping the paintings, and so now they're hanging. So up there. they did paintings of of the ten most endangered. They did, and they were actually published in Elevate when they had Elevate come out. Oh yeah, yeah. So they were published in there, and the kids were over the moon to see their work in the magazine yeah i'm sure but that's that's amazing so i'm curious tell me what it's like to be a full-time artist it's interesting i i work alone a lot um you know it's just me and my husband he usually is working during the day and then i work from home most days um only in the evenings or in the on wednesdays and thursdays am i surrounded you know by the kids but um a lot of it, it's not just painting. A lot of it's going out in the nature and sitting and staring and building leaf boats and, and looking and, and letting themes hit you, letting things wash over you and trying to go back. And, and it's like an emotional sieve whenever you're painting. You just pour it all in and, and catch the big stuff. <laughs> and that becomes pieces of your work. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of being alone. I enjoy it. So I know you mentioned sitting in nature, but I guess I, I worry that if, if I were to do uh, do it full time, it's like any time, you know, the kind of adage, right, of any time you make something you love, your work, like how you stay inspired. So is it that? Is it going into nature? Is it like how do you keep your ideas coming? My ideas, nature is a part of it, but most of mine's like a visceral response to what's happening. Uh-huh. So it's more fleeting thoughts and impressions. I mean, being in nature, that, you know, that's what brings the, the emotional response about for me, mm-hmm. usually. But um, I don't know. I think, I think I just go try to tap into whatever internal conversation is going on in my head at the moment and just kind of throw it back onto the camera. Right. That's a hard question for me to answer. Yeah, well, it's a, I'm just thinking of it for myself because it's just hard to keep the ideas flowing, and I yeah. find that the ideas come when I'm doing something else, and so yeah. I just wondered. The that, shower principle. Yeah, the right? yeah, I think so. Exactly. So I just wondered, you know, pursuing arts as a career, what yeah. made you decide to kind of take that leap? Was it just inevitable? You know, when I was, when I was young, I wanted to – I know I wanted to either be a lunch lady or an artist. <laughs> I loved our lunch lady. Uh, like, a, such a source of comfort. Mrs. Tillman, that was her name. But a lunch lady or artist. And um, around 18, I, you know, I think I mentioned that I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm very good at this. 
And then it hit me when I was in my 20s, like early 20s, like, no, we're going to do this. Mm. This is just, it, like, you have to. It's like a calling kind right. of. Yeah. You know, you, you can only dodge it for so long, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's going to catch up to you in one way or the other. So I figured I'd channel it. Um, yeah, I, can, I mean, I can relate to that because I always say art is something, whether I do it as a profession or not, right. or whether I sell or not, it's something I can't not do. Yeah. Like, I'm not fully myself yeah. unless I can do it. It's almost like a compulsion. And yeah. people ask you all the time, what would you do if you weren't painting? And I'm like, I don't know, but it, it's like breathing, and I don't want to suffocate trying to find out. Oh, that's you know? such a great line. It's, yeah. it's, so, it's such a part of who you are, and, and yeah, it's... It just it's kind of ingrained in you after a while don't you think yeah absolutely yeah. it's part it's absolutely part of you um so tell me real briefly about some of the um you know work you do with other artists so I know you're part of a couple different groups yeah um, I'm a part of a couple of different collectives one is South Mississippi Art League and that's about 12 different women from across mostly South Mississippi and um, we do shows that travel around the state and sometimes over to Alabama you know different places so um, a lot of them are mentors that I have when I was in school, and I'm very excited that I get to show with them. And they have a show coming up, or we have a show coming up, rather, with the Hattiesburg Women's Alliance, and that's at the Gail Keenan Gallery, and I think that's in March and April. I don't know the exact opening date, but it, it should run from March to April. Okay. Um, I also do work with Local Creatives, which is another collective here on the coast, and it's I think it's about 30 different, and it's not just artists, it's some musicians, graphic designers, architects, floral design, photographers, but um, Sarah Karkish and Morgan Welch, uh, they own Hannaberry Workshop in Ocean Springs, and they kind of started this collective, and not only do we do shows together, but we have speakers come to give support to other artists, you know, how to market yourself, and everybody does a speech on a different topic, so we, it's really a support network for other artists here. And then um, I'm also, I go to Mississippi Art Colony. I went back for the first time in a, quite a while this last year and had an incredible time. And we have instructors come from all over the United States and um, from institutions like Pratt and RISD, all kinds of, um, of great schools, and they give critique. And we have a show coming up at the Oro O'Keefe Museum in um, from December to February. Great, and tell people where they can find your work. You can find my work at, usually at Smith & Lens in Bay St. Louis, um, this month at the Almost Circle Gallery in Biloxi on www.carmenlugo.com, and I'm on Instagram as The Little Painter. The Little Painter, the well, little great. Painter. <laughs> well, thanks again, Carmen, and thanks everyone for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Be sure to tune, tune in each week for the Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Committee.